Hello fellow adventurers and welcome back to the Nerd Lab, where we transform our gaming passion into incredible game designs and learn how to nerd like a boss. My name is Marvin and I am an ambitious game designer on my quest to develop a cooperative fantasy card game. For this podcast, my vision is to take you with me on this exciting journey. Together we will explore the secrets of different game mechanics and reach the next level as a game designer. In episode 19 of the Nerd Lab, we will follow up on last week's episode. So if you didn't listen to episode 18, I strongly recommend listening to this episode before. Because I discussed a lot of basics about artificial intelligence in board games. We talked about some possible design principles and different levels of AI in board games. Today my plan is to continue this topic by analyzing a lot of different examples. But before we start, let's briefly summarize what we talked about last week. First, I thought about why we need an AI system. And the result was that the AI, especially in co-op games, is responsible to control the opponent. That means it is responsible to select actions of monsters, their timing and their targeting. In addition to that, it is also responsible to control the reactions of the game based on some kind of player input. In order to fulfill this task, many different approaches have been used in previous board games. And today we are going to talk about some of them. Last week we already mentioned different levels an AI can have. Level 1, for example, um, I defined as autonomous deterministic behavior. Level 2 was... Um, a behavior which is a little bit more variable. So you have subroutines or some kind of variable programming. For example, that you can draw a card that uh, randomly determines what the monster action is. Level 3 then was some kind of active response system where enemies really uh, take into account what you as a player have done in the last few rounds. Uh, level 4 was uh, situative responses. That means that the AI system really understands the whole situation of the game. Though it is not only um, responding to a single player action, it is responding to a situation that is on the board. And the uh, final level, level 5, was some kind of defined as AI player or automata, where the AI system really tries to win the game and um, acts as a, um, as a real player. And now for you, the main quest. Okay, now let's have a look at some spicy examples. And remember, things you are looking out for are ways to manage the action selection. So what are enemies going to do? Uh, the timing, when are they going to do it? And the targeting, who are they targeting with it? And the reactions, how do they respond to player actions? Often these different mechanics I'm going to talk about can be combined. A game could, for example, have simple marching orders to determine the movement, but very complex mechanic to determine the target or the action selection. The first example I'm going to talk about is the swarm behavior and crowd control in Myth. Myth is a cooperative fantasy dungeon crawler in which you are fighting an endless number of enemies. That's exactly why the game needed a very clever AI implementation to mitigate the problem of managing too many enemies. And two design choices are standing out here. 
The first one is the swarm behavior. You don't have to figure out which action every enemy is doing. You only figure out what one enemy is doing and then every enemy next to it is doing the exact same thing. While you have 15 enemies on the board, you only have to figure out the logic for around three or four of them. And the second design principle is swarm attack. Uh, that means all enemies do um, their movement at the beginning and then they do their attack all together. You only have to roll once for the entire attack. That simplifies um, the combat and the movement dramatically and allows the game to add a lot of monsters to the board. The next example is um, using the turn order or the timing, the initiative as targeting variable. Um, and games that do this is Gloomhaven or Dicebone Heroes. In Gloomhaven, each player action is tied to an initiative value. And the enemies make you pay attention to initiative because of two reasons. First, the enemies have an initiative as well and the turn order depends on that initiative value. That means the faster you act, the higher the chance you act before the opponents. This creates situations in which you think you have your opponent dead, but then somehow they manage to draw their one fast card from their deck and that ruins your entire plan. And this creates gotcha moments, uh, similar to the example with the zombies I discussed before. The second reason why the enemies make you pay attention to your initiative is their targeting AI. In Gloomhaven, a monster will target the player it can perform its current attack against using the least amount of movement. It finds the shortest possible path to get in range and line of sight and then uses its attack. If more than one enemy ties for the being the closest, the second priority to determine the target is the initiative value of the player. That means players that acted faster in the current turn will be focused before the slower players. Being fast means you get hit more often. In the game Diceborn Heroes, it is the other way around. Enemies can only attack players that were not faster than them. In my eyes, this is a very simple but nice example of using the pace of player actions as a secondary variable for the enemy response. The initiative does not play a role every round for the targeting of the enemies, but it comes up every now and then and um, it allows players to intentionally move slower in this turn to decrease the chances of being attacked. That's a very nice tactical element um, that is very easy and um, yeah, adds a little bit of um, control to the players. Okay, the next one is uh, a big one and it comes up in so many games I love um, and it is predictable chaos. And exemplary games are Pandemic, Eon's End, Aventuria and Kingdom Death. All of these games and Gloomhaven as well. All of these games use this predictable chaos um, in different ways. Uh, let's go through some examples. In all of the following examples, the AI makes high-level decisions to determine the overall flow of the game. And these decisions are made randomly by drawing a card from a deck the players have imperfect knowledge about. The imperfect knowledge is the important thing here. Um, it creates some sort of predictability. It is chaos, but it is predictable chaos because you as a player know what could happen. Based on this knowledge, the players can make informed decisions during their turns. 
One example is the turn order deck in Eon's End. The deck determines whether a player or an enemy is acting next in the turn. The players know what possible draws are still left for that round in the turn order deck and can make their decisions accordingly. Unless there's only one card left in the turn order deck, the players do not have perfect information about what is going to happen. But they have imperfect information because they know that um, maybe player one, two and three have already taken their turn and the three cards left are two uh, enemy cards and only one player card. So they can make their decisions uh, based on this knowledge. Pandemic uses this mechanic also exceptionally well. Diseases will tend to spawn in cities where they have already spawned before. And this is something that changes every game. You draw a couple of city cards each turn and add diseases cubes in that city. Once in a while you get an epidemic crisis which will send another city into the mix. Uh, but the catch is, whenever you draw an epidemic, the city card's discard pile is shuffled and placed on top of the draw pile. This means that all cities that were already infected will be drawn all over again. But you have no way of knowing in which order. It is imperfect information. It is predictable chaos. The AI system is great because it feels logical to me. If a virus has been spread in a city and the city cards have been put back on top of the deck, chances are high that the virus spreads even more in that city. In Aventuria, the different enemy actions are written on the enemy card. Each turn the enemy action is determined randomly by rolling a d20. If the result is a 2, for example, the enemy heals itself. Or if the result is a 15, it attacks. Um, players have um, knowledge about all the available actions of the enemies, but they have no way of predicting which action will be performed, because it is completely random each turn. If we compare this implementation with the implementation of Kingdom Death, players have a lot more predictability in Kingdom Death. For each monster you have to create a deck of cards that determines its behavior from standard cards that apply for this type of monster. The longer the fight is going, the more the players learn about the behavior of the enemy. This is the same as it is in Gloomhaven, because it goes through the deck over and over again. Um, but the best thing about Kingdom Death is that this mechanic is tied to the health mechanic of the game. The more damage you do to the enemy, the more cards uh, the enemy loses from his deck. That means the enemy becomes more and more predictable, because it, ha because it has less um, cards to choose from. That means the chaos becomes more and more predictable. I love all of these mechanics uh, because they really allow the player to make clever choices based on probabilities. There's a good reason why so many games use this technique because it is just awesome. The next example is something the AI can be used for and this is a dummy player. A dummy player is often used in competitive games to add another variable or role the players should not have control over. The dummy player AI is not playing to win. You do not have to beat it. It is just an anonymous system that can be manipulated by other players. In Gloomhaven, a good example for a dummy player uh, is a, a summon. They are unwilling partners of a player. 
Each summon comes with its own set of behaviors. They move like enemies, they target like enemies, and they fight like enemies. Players have almost perfect knowledge about the summons, but, at least without specific cards, no real way of manipulating their behavior. And that can lead to awkward situations in which um, a minion, or a summon how it is called, moves to a specific hex field that you wanted to use. And it moves there just before you. Um, and you have no way of manipulating it. For me, this sometimes feel like they are a little bit brainless. And I cannot really explain why I have that feeling, because they are acting more or less exactly like monsters do in Gloomhaven. And I don't have the feeling that the monsters act um, brainless. Maybe it's because they do not have their own attack um, deck and always perform the same actions every turn. But um, yeah, maybe it's just because they are under more or less under my control and I want to decide what they are going to do. But I have heard different opinions about the summons in Gloomhaven. Some people love them, others hate them. So probably you have to decide on your own. In addition to that, I have heard that uh, Seven Wonders also has a great dummy player rule. But I have not played that game yet. Maybe um, if you are looking for dummy player um, implementation, that is also something you could look into. The next example comes from the Dungeon and Dragons board games, for example, the Ravenloft board game. In the Dungeon and Dragons board games, each monster has a script they follow based on their distance to the characters. The monster cards have a simple if-then list of instructions, and usually it is about determining if they are close enough to attack um, any of the heroes. If nobody is in range, the last instruction moves the monster towards the hero. There are some minor variants, um, either with different attacks or effects that are applied, but the vast majority of monsters will move and attack the heroes. Um, a skeleton enemy, for example, checks if it is adjacent to a hero. If so, it attacks the hero with a scimitar. Then it checks if it is within one tile of a hero. If so, it moves adjacent to the closest hero and attacks that hero with a charging slice. And if this is also not possible, the skeleton moves one tile forward to the closest hero. The AI rules are very simple and completely deterministic, but they allow to play the game without a dungeon master and give the enemies a feeling of following at least a simple tactic. In my eyes, this is a very good example of a level 1 implementation, an autonomous deterministic behavior that is quite simple but still creates very interesting situations. If you want your enemies to follow a plan, you have to or you can look into Shadow Rift. Shadow Rift is a co-op deck building game and each enemy follows a specific plan. On the enemy card is printed what the monster does on each turn. For example, turn 1, attack, turn 2, kill a villager, turn 3, annihilation. Annihilation means the monster instantly destroys the town and the heroes lose the game. So players know exactly how long they have time to kill the enemy before they lose the game. This system is um, also completely deterministic, but allows to deliver a very nice scripted 
tactic and also narrative uh, for each of the enemies. The next example is about um, targeting. And we are looking into Warhammer Quest, the um, adventure card game. Um, and in Warhammer Quest, uh, the AI assigns enemies to players based on the current turn order, more or less randomly. Uh, for example, if four opponents attack the group and there are four players, each player is assigned a random opponent. Some enemies also come into play in the shadows, a specific area in the game, so they are hidden and are not activated until you attack them or activate them in another way. A player can only be in combat with three enemies at a time. When a fourth enemy would be added, it automatically does its damage and then retreats into the shadows. The enemies change their targets um, when they get attacked. So if one enemy is engaged with a squishy mage, it can make sense that the tank attacks this enemy in order to assign the enemy to him. Another reference the AI uses in Warhammer Quest is to determine the target of some effects um, by using the starting player. So the starting player changes every round based on the round robin principle and um, sometimes the effects of the AI um, yeah, target the current starting player. All of these AI mechanics feel a little bit random, but there are also some exceptions to that. Some enemies, for example, have the ability Prey that causes the enemy to engage the hero with the most wounds. Um, and what I wanted to show with this example is that you could have a very simple um, targeting system, for example, or a simple base system for your AI in general, and then use some kind of exceptions to make it more intelligent. For example, here uh, in Warhammer Quest, the prey mechanic. The idea here is to keep the AI simple and add complexity only here and there where it makes most sense, where you want to deliver some additional intelligence for your opponents. The next example is um, maybe the only example I have for a level 5 AI implementation. And that is Descent. You may ask, Descent, isn't that a game with a dungeon master? Yes, it is. But it, there's also a version that you can play with a digital companion app. The companion app replaces the Overlord as a dungeon master and allows the game to be played uh, fully cooperatively. The app defines how the enemies move, how they target and how they attack. Therefore, it uses a checklist system to determine the target of the enemies. The app will ask you to spot heroes based on a certain criteria. For example, spot the hero with the most fatigue suffered. Attack the hero with three spaces of this monster with the most fatigue suffered. If within two spaces of a hero, perform move action and retreat. As you can see, this also uses some kind of checklist system um, as most of the games that try to add some intelligence for their enemies. I have not played with the companion app, um, but if you are interested in a level 5 AI system, um, I would recommend looking into it. And finally, the conclusion. That's it for the examples today. I am sure there are more good examples out there. 
If something comes to your mind, please let me know and I will add it to the designer's resource on the website or mention it on a, in a future episode about that topic. In my game, for example, movement is not an integral part of the game. My enemies do not move on a board in a typical way. Instead of being engaged with a specific hex on the board, enemies are engaged in combat with players. That makes movement obsolete or at least very, very simple. And that makes line of sight obsolete. Because I do not have to bother with movement and line of sight, I have more freedom to focus um, on the targeting and action selection of my enemies, which I think is a refreshing alternative to what I've seen so far. Um, how enemies choose which player to target is based on the actions players performed in previous rounds. So the enemies are really reacting on the players' actions. That means enemies have a higher chance to target a player that has performed a very strong attacks or specific quest-related actions. The actions players take have a very high impact on the enemy's targeting behavior. In addition to that, some of my enemies can perform quest-specific actions. These actions are defined in the quest design. And the implementation is super simple. The enemy card says, for example, on a 5, uh, the enemy performs quest action 1. And the scenario book uh, then specifies what quest action 1 actually means. The result is that the same enemy can act very differently in different quests or even in different stages of the quest. That makes the enemies extremely contextual and generates a feeling of uh, an intelligent behavior. However, going through all of these examples helped me personally a lot to generate some new interesting ideas for my AI. I really like the implementation of uh, predictable chaos and currently I'm thinking about how I could add more of that into my game. In addition to that, my main focus is still to find the sweet spot between a simple and very compelling AI that is both easy to handle but complicated to defeat. As mentioned last week, I think this is a challenge everyone has to solve for his or her own game. During my playtests, uh, I always try to identify if managing the AI feels more like a chore or more like fun for the players. And I look for the moments where, the, where they try to predict the enemy's tactic and then they either have moments of success where they predicted it correctly or they get surprised because uh, they predicted it wrong. And these are the moments um, I try to generate with my artificial intelligence. One more thing. A lot of you have joined the NerdLab community last week and received the sneak peek advice from Jamie Stegmeier, which I think was great advice for every game designer. I'm really happy to see the community grow and I'm still thinking um, about the best way to manage the community. Maybe, maybe I'm going to start a Discord or maybe a Facebook group or a Reddit subgroup, I don't know. Um, but uh, there will be something coming um, where we all can exchange our ideas and help each other out on our uh, game design journey. If you have any ideas um, or just want to be part of that growing community from the beginning, you can sign up on nerdlikeaboss.com. Um, I would be very happy to learn more about you and the games you're designing. The link can be found um, as usual in the show notes. 
this week I'm going to share with all the community members um, the one thing Mike Selinker, designer of uh, games like uh, Pathfinder card game, Betrayal on the House of the Hill or Apocrypha, um, the one thing he wished he had known before he started his journey as a game designer. So if you want to uh, get a sneak peek on, on, on his advice, please sign up on the website and I will send it out um, at the end of this week. Thank you very much for listening and until next week, keep designing smart AIs that may at some point in the future conquer the world and terminate humanity. And of course, nerd like a boss. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, everyone.